Those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. Those who fail to learn history correctly, why they are simply doomed. And welcome to another edition of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda Series podcast. I am Ryan Mazzocco. Keep it down. I'm, I'm Ethan Maestri. And we are on a journey following the Andromeda Series episode by episode. And picking apart each episode as we go. This week we are on Too Loose, the fateful light. Hold on, Ryan. Ryan. Can we get these kids out of here? I mean, my goodness, I cannot stand children. Are the kids bothering you? Yes, kids bother me. No, I, I'm sorry, I didn't can, know. Can we? Can you take care of this, please? Yeah, sure. I just thought it would, you know, create some friendly atmosphere in the spirit of the show. Well, no, I, I don't like kids. I don't want them in the studio. All right, hey kids, you guys, come on, we gotta go. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I'm sorry, baby, but Ethan doesn't want any kids in here. We gotta go, okay? Alright. Thank you. Okay. Too Loose, The Fateful Lightning. Yeah, it's the kids episode. So... Is there anything we need to know about this episode, Ethan? Well, I just got a couple of things. Uh, since the pilot episode um, that was written originally by the, the show's uh, developer, Robert Hewitt Wolf, um, this one was written by Matt Keen and Joe Reink- Reinkmeyer, I think is how that's pronounced. It's got to be. Reinkmeyer. Yeah, we'll go with that. That sounds, sounds good. Just say and, uh, it with authority and no one will question you. I know. Yeah. I just don't do that often enough. So, yeah. So, we have different writers for this one. A, a good writing staff. So, we'll have uh, quite a few uh, names that we'll call out as we come to, to, to these different episodes that are written by different, uh, different credits. Uh, something else I thought was interesting about something we get uh, that we could probably talk about later. But I wanted to bring it up in trivia. This is the first mention, direct mention, of Earth. So far in the series, there's been no direct reference to it. Hmm. And, and here we have a direct reference to Earth uh, being in ruins after constant Nietzschean and Magog attacks. So we kind of get a, 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 a just a little snippet mm-hmm. of what's happening on our home planet. And it doesn't sound good. Ooh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so that's a couple of uh, little trivia points that I had here. Okay. So with that out of the way, uh, Ryan, what happens in this episode? Well, let me tell you what happens, Okay. See, Dylan is looking for a high guard station, GS92196, hoping to score slip fighters, supplies, parts, or whatever. And as they approach the station, they find remains of Magog ships and battle debris. Andromeda senses life signs on the station, and Dylan decides to go down. He figures whoever's down there isn't all that hip to Nietzscheans and Magog, so he chooses to leave Tyr and Rev behind while taking Harper and Becca. On the station, they find signs of fresh battle, including dead Magog. For some reason, Dylan decides to touch it. Harper warns him that it could result in his being infested with Magog eggs, but Dylan debunks this as simply a myth. Just then, they are fired upon by unseen attackers. Dylan announces himself as High Guard, and the assault stops. And then a swarm of children come out to greet our crew while chanting, Hail the High Guard! Then the children start touching Dylan, I guess just to make sure he's real. 
Then a young woman, looks about 20 years old, identifies herself as Kate Nason, the GSTAT-COM, or leader, of the group. She seems sickly and tells Dylan that when she soon dies, she will be succeeded by Hayek. Third in command is her younger brother, Mapes. The children then present a dramatic reenactment showing how, during the fall of the Commonwealth, many of the station's crew were killed, leaving only the children and the children's children. And the children's children's children. And the children's children's... Well, you, you get the idea. Throughout the centuries, generations of warrior children fended off attacks by Magog and Nietzscheans. They say that they have waited for the High Guard and the Day of Lightning, and now that day has come. Thus ends their presentation. But before they leave, they give Dylan and crew a gift. A box full of Magog cheek corns and Nietzschean bone blades, which they harvested from their enemies. Back on Andromeda, Dylan speculates that the children are sick from radiation poisoning of some sort. He wants to warm them up to the idea of accepting other alien races, but all agree that taking a Nietzschean or Magog down would be disastrous. Enter Trance. Dylan thinks he may have found the answer. Back on the station, the children are hating on Trance, wanting to shoot her and whatnot because she's purple and stuff, and Dylan says she's a friend. Mapes thinks she's pretty, and now everything's okay. Nasan mentions there's nothing about purple creatures being in the scripture. When Dylan inquires about what scripture, she says it's in the Room of Knowledge. She takes him there. It's a room full of files on flexies loaded with high guard procedures and manuals. Harper is totally geeking out, especially over a flexi that's something about a ship made flesh. Nasan says that she has memorized everything here. Dylan doesn't believe her, so he quizzes her and discovers that not only has she missed the meaning, she also can't read. Back on command deck, Becca has isolated the radiation leak to a secured area on the station, but it can only be accessed by using the words of the past. Words of the past? Oh, passwords. These kids got it all mixed up. Dylan returns to the station and uses the words of the past, or his high guard access code, to open the door to the much delight and cheering of the children. Inside is a bay filled with slip fighters. They've been waiting for this, and they seem to know just enough to be very, very dangerous. Nason gives the order to Hayek and Mapes, who then use key cards at a console and arm all systems. Dylan suspects now that the slip fighters have Nova bombs, or noble bombs, and the Voltarium from them is the source of the radiation poisoning. But the kids aren't concerned with that right now. They have slip fighters, noble bombs, and enemies to destroy. Dylan gathers all the children together again and gives a speech about gaining victory over not our enemies, but ourselves. To the kids, though, peace means eliminating their enemies. Hayek asks Dylan to bless Mapes and Gordo. Dylan's like, yeah, whatever, you're blessed and stuff, and they get all excited and they run off. Back in med deck, Trance tells Dylan that Nason and the other older children are incurable, but the younger children can be saved with the Nova bombs removed and nanobots injected. Dylan gives the order. Back in the room of knowledge, Tyr is sneaking around and up to something. Maybe we'll find out more about that later. Dylan makes a visit to Nason's bedside to inform her that she is at the end of a game of telephone gone terribly wrong when Hayek comes in to inform them that the Day of Lightning has come. 
Two slip fighters are on their way to destroy the dihedra system occupied by Magog. Meanwhile, Harper has locked himself in the Maru, working hard and up to something. Back on command deck, they try to chase down the two slip fighters. They catch one, but the other gets away. Out of time and out of options, Andromeda escapes into slipstream while the dihedra system and all of its inhabitants are destroyed. In the hangar bay, Mapes is very disappointed that they stopped him from completing his suicide mission. Dylan wants to teach Nasen that maybe genocide isn't the answer. When he asks about the innocent Magog in the system, she laughs. There can be no innocent Magog. Dylan introduces Rev Bim as an innocent Magog. Nasen pulls her gun. Rev tells her not to shoot, but to listen, and if after an hour she still wants to kill him, then she can. Trance stands guard outside, so... Hey, I can't see you, Rev Bim, but they must not have known about the live video feed the kids have as they watch the whole thing play out on their iPad. When Dylan and Rev, his identity obscured by a heavy robe and hood, come out of Nathan's room, Hayek diverts Dylan with tales of some kind of leak or something. In the commons area, Nathan tries to convince the other kids of what she has learned, but they have tied Rev upside down by the ankles and take turns beating him until Dylan enters and intervenes. He orders them to cut him down, which they do, though I'm sure there could have been a better way. Back on command deck. Oh, so that's what Tyr was doing, sneaking around down on the station. They rigged the slip fighters for remote control. Mapes calls Trance from outside the airlock. He seems upset and says he wants to go with them. He says Hayek thinks he's been compromised and fears for his life. Trance agrees and opens the door. It's a trap! Hayek, Mapes, and an army of children walk onto the Andromeda with guns drawn. The kids disable Andromeda's internal sensors and take Trance as hostage as they make their way to command deck. Hayek starts giving orders. Dylan orders them off the ship, but Hayek says he is in no position to be giving orders. Dylan says, oh really fool, and activates the remote control of the fighters. But wait, something isn't working. Oh no, Hayek has jammed the data link. He accuses Dylan of being an imposter and not the real high guard. Harper enters carrying Nason, who orders Hayek to stand down the attack. Hayek declares Nason too sick and appoints himself G-Statcom. Hayek is lining up the Andromeda crew for execution when in walks in uh, a lady. The kids stop and stare because there's like totally a naked chick on the command deck now. She identifies herself as Andromeda, the ship made flesh, Harper's secret project. Using her artificial gravity field, Rami pulls the kids to the floor. The data link is restored, and they can now take control of the fighters. Dylan ejects all pilots and self-destructs all fighters inside Slipstream. They leave the children with a new outlook on life and peace, as Mapes preaches the Commonwealth's message as their new leader. Meanwhile, back on Andromeda, Dylan hides a Nova bomb in storage. The end. You know, I really like your reference to the uh, telephone game. That was fantastic. <laughs> but I really think they're giving 15 generations of children, short-lived children, a lot of credit for maintaining as much as they did <laughs> by way of order. They were pretty far off, but I guess not too far off, huh? Not terrible. You could You could reckon what they were talking about. You could kind of reason it out. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I, I like the uh, I like the telephone game reference. That was really good. 
So one thing that I learned from this, don't dress up as a Magog. <laughs> I, I put in my notes that Revbim talks peace, then gets used as a pinata. <laughs> that was my notes for, for that particular segment. How brutal were these children? Yeah. I understand they don't have role models other than what they've been told about High Guard, which was all messed up anyway. But man, you, you, you granted you, they're they've been murdering Magog or killing Magog, depending on your viewpoint. But yeah, just to, to take a guy that was talking with your leader and helping her and and trying to talk about peace, which again, I don't know why I I am shocked by this because they have no concept of what peace is. Peace means war, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so this Magog is trying to talk about a, a different way of doing things. He's obviously different than the Magog that they've dealt with before. And, you know, how do we react? Well, let's string them up and beat them with a stick. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, to all the little kids, hey, you want to have a couple wax? Training time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was brutal. It really speaks to the, uh, the, the martial or savage nature that the, that that particular, <laughs> uh, group of, of, children uh, Mm -hmm. eventually kind of devolve into yeah and you got real serious on me real quick but the point that i was making uh at the beginning was don't dress up like a magog because in that uh that little presentation transmission that they were uh giving for the crew Mm -hmm. they had the uh, one kid that was dressed as a magog yeah and uh harper did a wharf on him and tried to Tried to shoot him down. <laughs> That's like, right. He uh, did pull the gun, yeah. pull the blaster on him. So you know, and maybe not just Magog. Um, just in general, in life, be careful how you dress up. Yeah. Someone might mistake you for a terrible beast, and and you know, don't dress up like a buck during hunting season. Can we say that too? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I totally jumped ahead in the in the story there. I missed missed where you were going with that. I do apologize. That's all right. But well, yeah, we were going to talk about what you're you were saying anyway. So, but, but yeah, speaking of Harper, when they first get on the station, Harper like you know touches the wall and tastes it, and it's like battle damage, fresh. I I take exception to that. I mean, when something's fresh, you're talking about something freshly killed. You know, why Why wouldn't he have referred to it as, you know, recent or something, something like that? I mean, that's a nitpick. I know. I know. But I just thought referring to fresh battle damage. Um, yeah, different words you could use for that. Well, you know, maybe that was just part of the whole culture um, on Earth. You know, everything was a a fresh battle. Yeah, maybe everything was so fresh in their minds. You yeah, know? I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm reaching. But. Uh, we, we've got another Star Wars reference. Uh, when the kids are telling the story, I mean, did you not have flashbacks to the Ewok? Uh, C three PO telling the Ewoks <laughs> about how they got there. Uh. I mean, here's the children <laughs> dressing up, and they're telling a very simplistic. Mm-hmm. Sim- they're the best way they can, but it's very simplistic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and twisted. Either they're talking about how they got here, and I just got Star Wars vibe out of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to be looking for Star Wars vibe in every episode I watch now, <laughs> just so I, that's going to be my thing. So You know, what's funny is when we first started this, I thought we were going to be doing a lot of comparing to Star Trek. 
Yeah, I kind of did too. But but you're right. There's a whole lot more Star there's, Wars going on. I, yeah, some right now it's it's become easier for me to relate it to Star Wars than to Star Trek. What I want to know is we have all these generations <laughs> of children. We have Kate Nasan, who is the oldest, and they're estimating at, at what twenty? Yeah, they're estimating that she's about maybe twenty years old. Yeah. I guess it's possible that uh, humans are able to procreate in their teens. Early teens. Yeah. I don't know. How is how is this population being sustained? Well, I, I think they established it as, what, 15 generations? That's a lot of generations, in, even in, in 300 years' time. So, yeah, you, you live to about 20, 21, 22. Theoretically, you have a child by 13, 14, 15. And and you die a few years later, and that's you know, obviously these children have to grow up quick. Mm-hmm. So you take care of them until they can walk on their own, and then they pretty much are on their own. Well, I mean, they <laughs> they flat out say that that we're not children, right? They aren't allowed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, this is obviously a stretch uh, by way of story, but I mean, it, it's it, at least it seems plausible mm-hmm. that. They understand they have a shortened lifespan, so they have to they have to act quickly, and so obviously they do, and they have, <laughs> and, and and so the the stories that have, they have been told, they obviously don't have time to become literate and read the uh, what do they call it the the, the li- room, room of knowledge the room of knowledge they mm-hmm. they can't read it themselves, so yeah they just pass it down and it gets warped, and uh, yeah and so you have this little Lord of the Flies. Uh, society on the space station. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah. Except that it's children. And I just, I I have a problem with, with the fact that it's about children. Well, we know you have a problem with children. We learned that in the opening. <laughs> kind of established this. No, but I, th- I thought there was really um, a lot more to this episode than, than just at first glance. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of ideas here, a lot of messages, a lot of a lot of things going on. We have the kids who have this idea that pretty much anything different from them is evil, especially the Nietzschean and the Magog, because they're ones who have directly been affecting them. There's a particular hatred there. Yeah. yeah. But then even bringing in someone like Trance, who they don't know at all, is very, very sweet and kind. But they are immediately suspicious, of, beyond suspicious. Yeah. I mean, they say, shoot her. Yeah. So, so you, you have this, it's like, a, it's like a supreme race kind of ideology that they have. Yes. And anyone that is not them is their enemies. Well, and I think, that, I think there's a message there, mm-hmm. uh, really, for society in general. And you, you mentioned the super race. Obviously, I suppose you're talking about the not, you know. The Nazi mm-hmm. movement. And yeah, we have seen that in our history. We still see it today, you know, taking place currently. And it's just not something that mankind, at least in right now or in the past, has ever been able to get away from. And so to see that kind of setting being portrayed in a, granted, a very unusual circumstance, and one that may or may not be plausible, but it, yeah, it it's there. You know, and it just kind of, to me, it kind of speaks of of the human condition right now. And that their idea of peace is eliminating their enemies. Yeah. And Uh, there again, what do we see going on in 
in society today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have certain certain movements, certain cultures where what's the answer? Well, get rid of the people outside of our territory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you see it in, in portrayed here in this show and I know I'm getting into issues and we well, that's Age of Geek. We don't do issues. Right. So we, we're doing issues. We can do issues. Okay, we're, we're doing issues. Then. Mildly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be heavy-handed, but <laughs> we're talking about an entertaining television show. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get heavy-handed with it. But that said, yes, we still see these themes, even in culture and society today. Man is dealing with those even still. You go back to the whole idea of why the Commonwealth fell. The Nietzscheans were upset about the Commonwealth making a treaty with the Magog. But now the Commonwealth is continuing on that same course with these children and teaching them, you don't try to achieve peace by destroying all of your enemies, but rather by trying to make peace with your enemies. Peace is not the absence of enemies, but peace is rather resolving your differences with your enemies. That's what they're trying to teach the children here. That's what Dylan is. These are Commonwealth ideals and values that he's trying to pass on. Commonwealth ideals and values that ultimately failed the Commonwealth. Yeah, and then we come back to our discussion that we had in the previous about the perspective from the historian's standpoint. Was the Commonwealth doomed to fail because they maintained these ideals? Well, it did, you know, is ultimately what it comes down to. But here we are trying to reestablish those ideals. Why? Because they're right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're good ideals. They deserve uh, to to have credence in in the universe, in society. So Hayek uh, makes reference to milk. Where do these children have milk after three hundred years on the space station? Honestly, are there cows there? Because <laughs> if they don't know. You know, common jargon, I mean, they're on the ship, and they release the nanobots, and the kid says, uh, what's, what does he say? Something about um, uh, it was going to paralyze their neuron systems. You know, if they can't even get that right, then how do they even know about milk? <laughs> I mean, I did just an observation, just a thought. Maybe they've got a, a 500-year supply, reserve supply of, of milk. There's a big old, what is it, the, what was the, the can of condensed powdered milk that your mom used to use to make make stuff? Oh, man, what is that? It had the cow on the front. Ah. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's Dharma Initiative milk. <laughs> there's, there's an automated drone that flies in, drops off supplies. It's, it never got shut off. Okay. Yeah. I'll accept that. I, I don't. Accept that. I don't know that that's what's going on. It's just, it's, I haven't heard any other ideas, so there I guess go. I'll just go with that. Okay. Yeah. I, I like that idea. An automated <laughs> drone drops off Dharma supplies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? It makes sense. Um, I have a question about the the logic in the idea of firing on a ship that has Nova bombs on it. Yeah. Now, let me, let me just try to put this in perspective. We cannot possibly fathom the power of a Nova bomb. They say they are strong enough to destroy a sun, essentially entire systems. Yes. All right. Let's let's just let's bring that down to something that 
honestly, we still can't comprehend this power, but we've seen it. The atom bomb. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got a plane flying over your territory, and you know it has an atom bomb on it. I I don't know much about strategic uh, defense and military uh, whatnot, but I'm thinking, do you shoot it? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. No, Maybe don't. someone can write in and tell us what happens if you if you shoot down a plane with an A-bomb on it. Yeah. Is but, there the chance that it's going to set off? But yeah. don't you think that is a terrible idea? Yeah. Shooting ships. On the surface, yeah. With, with Nova bombs on board. However, I suppose you could design fail-safe so that, you know, in the event of somebody blowing up the... The carrying vehicle. Why would you do that, though? Mm. I mean, tick for tack, right? It's true. <laughs> that is true. You, I mean, want that to, you want that sucker to go off is if, that, if they tag you. Is that not a true Corbamite? Yeah. So they've got Nova Bombs. They've got a Corbamite. Who's going to mess with a Commonwealth ship if it has Nova Bombs on it? I'm not going to. Well, apparently the Nietzscheans didn't mind. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean is I would like to know what what's what's going on. What's where's the logic in that? I mean, is there is there some sort of way around that? I mean, do they have to be deployed in in, in order to to explode? I, I I guess that's the assumption. Is they have to be actually be launched before they're armed and before they can interact with whatever whatever's in them mm-hmm. that's going to create this devastating explosion. Because I know that an atomic bomb is actually an extremely complex um, feat of engineering, mechanically speaking. It's not just as simple as a huge case of gunpowder and you set fire to it and it go boom. Um, there, there were fail-safes that were on the atomic bomb, and they have to do with... Um, measuring the the barometric pressure, measuring their elevation, measure measuring there were like three different things. I can't remember exactly how they all went, but there were three separate criteria that had to be met in order for that bomb to actually go off when it was supposed to. Yeah, you figure you have this thousands of years advanced technology from the A bomb. The Nova bomb, yeah, okay, I guess it's conceivable that maybe there's something on there they're not just going to blow up. Yeah. But then again, I come back to, why would you do that? <laughs> why take the risk? Yeah. yeah. I mean, just say, Nietzschean fleet comes up on you, and 10,000 Nietzscheans come up on the Andromeda Ascendant, and Dylan Hunt, you can just say, uh, you know I got 40 Nova bombs. <laughs> Go ahead, take me down, you're all coming down with me. Right. No, and, I I think you have to you have to assume that there is something that takes place when they're launched that becomes armed. Now they're live. Otherwise, yeah, nobody could nobody could fire at a Commonwealth ship. The Commonwealth would not have fallen well, if you had if you had Nova bombs going off everywhere every time a ship got destroyed. Well, then they're 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 doing themselves a disservice. And no, on the other hand. <laughs> You can't do that, though. You can't just have Nova bombs on your ship just ready to go off anytime someone shoots at you because That's right. if you're in a system, yep. 
If you're in a star system. If, if you want to claim that you have higher ideals that you live up to. Yeah, you can't. And you I'm can't not, have them going I'm off all willy nilly. I'm not even talking about the attacking ship. I don't care about the attacking ship. It's an enemy vessel. Yeah. Strategically, you want them to be destroyed if they're attacking you. But if you're in a system that is inhabited by innocent people, and you're just cruising around in there, and all of a sudden some Nietzschean ship comes flying in and blows you up. Okay, blows them up and blows up the billions of inhabitants in the system. I guess yeah. maybe that would be a valid reason why you would have to have yeah. a failsafe. And, and and I believe we're having a completely nerd discussion <laughs> <laughs> about a nerd situation. I like to think it's a geek discussion. It's, okay, well you, you you hold to that. All right, I will. <laughs> Actually, talking about the Nova bombs, I I think we get an interesting look at tier. In regards to these bombs that are apparently in play and how mm-hmm. he would use them. Oh, and so yeah. we get we get a little bit more about Tyr mm-hmm. and what links he will go to in order to get what he wants or mm-hmm. what he thinks need, needs to be done. Um, he makes the comment that or he basically infers that he would use these bombs in order to establish a high guard empire mm-hmm. or, or reestablish, use them to reestablish a, a Commonwealth empire. Right. And that's ultimately what it would be because he, he will do it, you know, with the gun in his hand. That's, that's how he would do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's an interesting look into who tier is. And I mean, you, you kind of assume that that is who he would be, but there's like no, there's no thought about it. There's no compassion. It's just, Hey, we've got these, you want your commonwealth? Mm-hmm. Let's go do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know, threaten all these systems, and they'll come on. They'll come under your, your, your uh, protection. Yeah, but I think that also comes into you had already mentioned that the difference between Dylan and Tyr. Dylan is very big picture. Mm-hmm. He's very far sighted. Yeah, D- and Tyr as a Nietzschean is very short sighted. Yes. And I think that trying to use the force of those Nova bombs is very short-sighted. Obviously, for the reasons that Dylan already stated, but I'm going to take it a little step further and say, you've got a civilization of three galaxies. Okay, how many star systems are in a galaxy? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So definitely in, in the... Millions or billions. Billions. Well, what was the what's the Carl Sagan quote? Billions and billions of stars. And Sorry. and that's just the Milky Way. I mean, right. We also got the Andromeda Galaxy and the Triangulum Galaxy. Those are all Commonwealth billions on billions. Yeah, so. yeah, billions of billions. Yeah. Okay. Those are star systems with. <clears throat> I don't know how many of those systems actually had sentient beings that were under Commonwealth control. But let's say there are millions of worlds. That's conceivable, right? Yes. Millions of worlds, millions of civilizations under Commonwealth control. Yes. You have 40 Nova Bombs. It's, yeah. It's not enough firepower. You're going to run out. As, in, as insane as it sounds to say, Nova Bombs that can destroy entire star systems, well, that's great. But they can't destroy entirely entire galaxies yeah. or... Univ- universes 
<laughs> you university. Use your words. You know, what's, what's the plural of universe? Uh, <laughs> I don't know that there is a plural. There's only one that we know of. Oh, I disagree with that completely. <laughs> but that's another show. Yeah. Oh, and, and another character we kind of get a viewpoint into is uh, uh, Trance. Trance has a moment where we get... I think I tried to talk about it a little bit about her being kind of a wild card mm-hmm. with the crew. And then we have that whole interaction where Dylan's trying to decide which he can only stop one of the two fighters. Mm-hmm. He has to make a left or right choice. He makes the choice uh, to go left, I believe. No, he picks right. Trance then forcefully recommends mm-hmm. take the left one. Mm-hmm. But then immediately she's backing off. But it's your choice, fifty-fifty. You know, <laughs> and she, you know, she quickly backs off from that. But she obviously she knows something mm-hmm. but we don't know even at the end of the episode we don't know why she does that mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting that they are really kind of playing up that that wild card mm-hmm. in, in in trance's background that we we don't know where she comes from right. or why she does things the way she does things and she or why she shows up after she's dead yeah well and and it's and it's instantaneous she's just like he says go right no go left yeah or whatever you want <laughs> you know yeah and then there's also the the point that dylan he just rolls with it yeah i mean he could have been like do you know who i am but he he made the order go right trance says go left and he's just like he looks at her, and he's just like, mm, "Yeah, okay." Which go is left. which? We're, we're going to come back to the, remember this this what you just said there, because we are going to come back to this in the next episode. And I know I'm jumping ahead, but I know there's a situation that comes up, and this is going to have direct bearing. And it's interesting the way Dylan handles it here compared to in the future. Oh, and I, I think I just mentioned the two, but actually I, I had notes on Harper too. We kind of get a little bit of insight. Oh, a ton about Harper. Yeah, that is true. I mean, it's just one little scene, but man, we learn and, a lot about Harper. And here is where, beginning in this episode, I start to soften toward Harper just a little bit. Because obviously he's had a rough life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he, he gives the story of his uh, two cousins uh, and the... <laughs> The, the impossible situation of Magog laying their eggs in them? Oh, God, how awful is that? Uh, and, and so the family has the choice of, you know, waiting till they hatch and then they all die or kill the cousins so that the Magog don't hatch out of them. And it's like, wow, the Magog are pretty bad. Yeah. Well, you know what? We learn about Harper. We also learn about the Magog. Yeah, we do. Because all we have really known to this point, Rade mentions to Dylan that they procreate by rape. Yeah. Well, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot. No. Um, it kind of puts a picture in your mind that is not pleasant at all. Right. But then we also find out that Rev Bim wants to go back and make some sort of um, restitution or something for the home planet that he was... And we, we see that, that Harper is getting ready to say, isn't that the planet you were born on? Uh, Rev doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Now we understand why. Because for a Magog to be born, they have to have their eggs put into a host, and then the host dies. 
horribly. Yes. Apparently. Yeah. They eat their <laughs> insides out and and then they kill them. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if it's sort of like like alien there's you know, where they yeah, it, well, any, you're talking about eggs coming out of a body. And that's just not going to be pleasant any way you think of well, it. Well, it's not the eggs coming out. It's Magog well, coming out. Yeah. Baby Magog. And so, the larvae, I guess, have been eating the insides for who knows. Yeah. So, obviously, you, you feel for Harper and what he's been through and what he's seen and what he's dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so now suddenly that 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 off sense of humor he has kind of makes more sense now. And and becomes a little bit easier to accept. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just kind of how how that's been my approach to it so far. Right. Hey, uh, we've got uh, Rami in the flesh. Literally. Wow. <laughs> in the flesh. Do we? Yeah. Yeah. So that's so. something. Yeah. Yeah. So and there's a little bit of a a strange um, chemistry there, or a strange interaction there between Rami and yeah, there was some Dylan. some uh, yeah, some yeah. awkward. And I I don't know if I've been trying to refer to the ship Andromeda as Andromeda because mm-hmm. I was saving Rami for Rami. But anyway, we definitely have a Rami now. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like another character. It now. really is. And I don't want to spoil anything, but I mean, we're going to see that there's a a definite divergence of Rami from Andromeda, the AI. Okay. And so I really look forward to getting into that more. I have a question for you. Go for it. I want you to tell me what these words mean to you. If I were to say, those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. Those who fail to learn history correctly, why they are simply doomed. I this this statement that opened up this show made so much more sense to me than any of the previous two. Yeah, I mean because it, it's a true statement. Mm-hmm. It is so true, and so the, these children, uh, they had a history, but they did not. <laughs> it was way messed up. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, these children were doomed. They weren't going to live in perpetuity on this station forever. Yeah, They were going to either perish because the noble bombs were going to kill them, it, make them sterile or whatever at some point. They were all going to die. Or they were eventually going to break off of the station and end themselves <laughs> in, mm-hmm. a, you know, in a blaze of glory. And, uh, yeah, so that's from not understanding where they were in their place in history. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that it mentions specifically those who fail to learn history correctly. And that's exactly what their downfall was because not to any fault of their own, they were illiterate. They didn't know how to read all of these, this documentation that they had at their disposal. They could have understood all of this, but they didn't know how to read. So it was oral tradition passed down from generation to generation to generation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they, so they, they could not learn the history correctly. Right. They were tainted by biased views, by prejudice, by all of these things. And it gave them a horribly distorted view on what history was. So they did not learn history correctly. Yeah. Had they been left alone and the Andromeda not ever been able to come in contact with them, 
they absolutely would have been doomed. They they would they never would have survived. The the Dharma supply ship would have eventually broke down. You got to think that supply is going to dry up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it as far as I know, it only lasted six seasons. So you know the fact that they were able to make that last three hundred years. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, if 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 it's anything like the way that Lost ended, then their end would have been terrible. <laughs> Would not have been a good end. No. Right. No, not at all. So that's what I take from that. So. And I just had one last thing. I got to get this shot in just because I've been sitting on it. You know, the way they, the way they left the children, you know, maybe they show up in a future episode. Maybe when the Commonwealth is reestablished, a better day may come. And when that happens, perhaps the children shall lead in the reestablished Commonwealth. The end. <laughs> As you believe, so shall you do. So you do. <laughs> so shall you do. Wow, we went almost the entire show without that reference. I, I'm kind of proud of us. I am kind of proud of I us. I know, because when we talked about this... It was we, all about... We knew it was going to be total... You know what, though? <laughs> I think, honestly, I was surprised, really, how much there was in this episode to talk about. Well, yeah, and having aired it, I, I have my opinion now, but let me ask you, did you like the show? I didn't want to, but I did. Um, there, Yeah, there were some things that were kind of out there that I really just couldn't buy. Um, I know a lot of teenagers, and most of them, no, scratch that, all of them are stupid. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the culture that we live in. Maybe they're a product of their environment and upbringing. But, you know, all the teenagers I know are really stupid and could never pull off any of these things that, that these these kids are able to pull off. Take that away from it. Man, I thought there was a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll jump in here too. Um when I first saw this episode, it was like, god, I can't believe I'm going to have to watch this one again in order to take notes so that we can do a podcast. Um then going back and watching it the second time, yeah, I I really don't like the kid stories. Um and and that's not just for Andromeda. I mean, this is well, this is the only one we've got that I know of. Yeah, well, it's a Gene Roddenberry thing. Yes, and so when it's done in Star Trek, and so when it's when it's shown up in these other genres, and I I don't like them. Mm -hmm. It's not you know it, it, that whole bit at the beginning. It's I do like children. <laughs> I really do. I, I'm not a, a you know that's not yeah. me. Well, I I like children, but but in stories like this one, I, it's just it's annoying. Yeah. Well, you go back to Star Trek, you have, you have Mary, you have, and the children shall lead. And it just goes on. It's like all of these episodes of Star Trek that featured children, children are terrible. They just all seem to be really bad episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. And so when you see this and it's, you see all the children and they all just come out and it's like, oh God, here we go. It's going to be one of these. Mm -hmm. It's his exact eye roll and, mm -hmm. and almost, I think there may have been an audible groan when I watched <laughs> it the first time. Yes. Yeah. But you know, I, not only did I think it was not that bad, it, it was actually kind of good. Well, I, yeah, it, it's, it's not that bad. I will put it that way. What 
I take away from it is the the glimpses that we get in the main characters. We get a little bit of Tear. We mm-hmm. get a little bit more of Harper. We get a little bit more of Trance. And, well, and we didn't even talk about Dylan. Dylan has this whole wrestling with being a messiah. He doesn't want to be the messiah. Mm-hmm. He wants to just uphold high guard ideals. And he has this whole wrestling with that. And, you know, so we had Dylan that we get to a glimpse into. We, we see he's a genuine... A genuinely good guy. Mm-hmm. And then Rev Bim. You know, so we get all of this. Um, just don't focus too much on the children's story. <laughs> and and, it, and it's it's a much, it, it there's things to take away from it. It's worth watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's even things to take away from it with the children's story. True. R- take away the fact that they are children. The struggle that they are having is very real. Yes. Yes, that is very valid point so you know i guess there's a thing there i don't know but that's just what i think but we'd love to hear what uh, the rest of you guys think out there and there are ways to get in touch with us let us know what you think and ways to keep in contact with us what are one of those ways mr ethan one of those would be through email and that is drive back the night podcast at gmail.com and we're also on the facebook's and we're on the twitter's both of those were at the handle Andromeda Pod. We're also on Podbean. That's where you can find us. We are andromedaseries.podbean.com. We'd like to send another thanks out to Age of Geek Productions for, uh, for, for helping us out here. Give them a follow on the Podbean, too. Talk about a lot of uh, interesting geek topics. And uh, we also like to send a thank you to Tim Kimmerly, who uh, once again has given us his voice for the opening quote. And we'd like to invite you guys to come back here again next week, and we are going to examine D-0. 